0: The intro song, Fishing for Pets, is written and composed by Alan Goldsher from his latest release, Live at the Lakeview Lounge. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. On today's episode, we're talking Pokemon with Jesus Garcia, the Consignments Director for Trading Card Games at Heritage Auctions. Jesus is a lifelong Pokemon fan, going back to the franchise's motion picture release in 1999. Today we're going to talk about what makes Pokemon so special, some of the holy grails that the brand has to offer, and we'll also get into the emergence of Magic the Gathering. This episode is a great way to learn more about Pokemon and get inside an expert's viewpoint on the importance and increasing popularity of the brand. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jesus. All right, guys. So today we are talking about Pokemon. Pokemon is probably the largest, you know, franchise out there, as big as it gets. And so we're really happy today to have Jesus Garcia. He's the uh, consignment director of uh, trading card games at Heritage Auctions. Jesus, welcome on the podcast. Thank you. Um, pleasure to be here. Yeah, um, the opportunity to talk to you is great. You know, we Pokemon's like this thing where me as a sports card collector, I don't know too much about. But, um, you know, I think that a lot of collectors in that position were like, we want to know more because it's so big. Um, and I kind of just wanted to start with, with you and kind of how you kind of became sort of like this Pokemon expert.
1: Yeah, no. So, I mean, I was kind of, you know, like, like every other kid in the late 90s, I would get home from school and I would watch, you know, the cartoons and Pokemon was always on. I would wake up in the mornings on Saturday, Pokemon was on and I kind of just fell in love with the story. And then I got introduced, you know, to uh, Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue. And it just kind of grew from there. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, great. So I got the cartoons, I got video games, and now there's cards that I can collect. And just
0: kind of, you know, all came together over time. You talk about the, the Pokemon Red and the Pokemon Blue. Uh, those were the video games, right, that came out? Correct, yes. And What, what was the difference between those two?
1: Nothing really, just the uh, actual cover. Um, you know, I was a fan of Pokemon Red because of Charizard, of course. Um, but... It's funny, you know, a lot of people don't know that Pokemon actually started as a video game first and then the card game got introduced and then the anime afterwards.
0: So that's me. I-, I thought that the anime got created first and that then from there, that's where kind of the video game and the, the card game got introduced from there.
1: Yeah, no, um, you know, in 1996, you know, uh, Pocket Monsters Red and Green were introduced in Japan as a ter- as, a- as the first two um, Pokemon video games and they were a-, a massive hit. And then after that, you know, Uh, pokemon started creating what are known as top sun cards little bubblegum packs you know they had two cards each and that was just kind of like a trial base you know whether they were trying to figure out if kids would be interested in, in in collecting cards with their characters on there and you know it worked out and you know the rest is pretty much history after that point
0: okay so then let me ask you this question then so they introduced it as a card game in japan was it meant to be collected or was it meant to be an actual game where you battle each other so
1: the the top sum cards, which were the original cards, those were meant to be, you know, collectible. And then whenever they introduced the actual trading card game afterwards, that was meant to actually play.
0: And I imagine that those are sort of like those early cards are like the holy the holy grails, because I, I keep hearing about the 1999 and we'll jump into that. But just to kind of cover my bases that those original Japanese cards must be like like in high demand.
1: Yeah, um, so the top 10 cards, you know, obviously the one with Charizard bonnet, the one that has the blue back and no number, that's one of the highest sought after cards in Pokemon. And then uh, the, the Japanese basic Charizard, the one with the no rarity symbol on the bottom right corner. Uh, that's one of the other ones that you know everybody's
0: after. And would you say that those are more valuable than the the ninety nine Charizard uh, you know foils?
1: I don't think so. I think the uh, the English cards will always have more value. That's just kind of you know how the collector base is. Um and not just for cards, for every other collectible
0: out there. The English versions will always go for a little bit more
1: than the international.
0: I just keep, I just have like all these questions. I keep pop, popping up. It's interesting. Is it something where it's like it's like it almost doesn't make sense? You tell me. Like where. Maybe the Japanese cards are, are are more rare, but for some reason, like you said, there's just like this preference, or is it really because of the rarity where a Charizard foil 9910, you know, PSA 10 is really more rare than, you, than any Japanese card?
1: It's a little bit of both. You know, every collector is different. I personally love the Japanese stuff just because, you know, it didn't come first. Uh, but then I've, I've spoken to other collectors, and it's one of those things where they just want to be able to read what's on the card.
0: All right, so then, so you started collecting the cards. And just go- going back to your personal journey, so like, did you start as a collector because you liked the way the cards looked and you started kind of curating them, you know, building a set? Or was it that you were into the card game because you were playing the game? I started off as a collector. Again, I
1: usually play the, the video game uh, quite often, but the card game to me was just more about the nostalgia and trying to, trying to catch them all, kind of like, you know, the franchise's motto. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much how it went uh, unfortunately you know I was one of those kids that had my cards all over the floor and then mom came in you know threw all of them away but
0: <laughs> so then you know you, you built up like this passion you you got really you know you love Pokemon and uh you know quick story like on my end when the Pokemon movie came out in the United States do you know what what year that was 99 99 so 99 and I was like a, a junior in high school or maybe a sophomore and all my friends are gonna go watch the Pokemon movie and I was like, what are you guys doing? You, you know, this is a little kid thing. I was like, I was like a hold up and I had no idea. I kind of underestimated, you know, cause I wasn't into Pokemon, but I underestimated just how popular it had become. Uh, it was almost like a phenomenon. And I remember that back in 99. And I'm wondering if you could talk, you know, kind of like what, what that was like going through that.
1: It was awesome. You know, but I remember going to the movie theater as a kid, you know, at the time I was like, I was maybe five or six years old and uh, just the excitement, I mean, that movie was emotional as a young kid, you know, towards the end when, you know, Bash almost gets killed or something like that. I can't remember, really remember. It was just like really emotional. And, but it was fun to watch it on the big screen because finally, you know, it was kind of, kind of one of those things where we were able to see how popular it actually was. And, um, you know, they finally showed Mewtwo on the big screen, which was amazing. The movie kind of
0: had it all for me as a collector and fan fan. That's awesome, man. That's awesome to hear. I, I can appreciate that so much more now than when I was like a, a dumb teenager. So I was reading a little bit about, of your biography at heritage. You kind of started on the comic books department. And then at a certain point, they moved you back to Pokemon in 2011. If I if I got that right. Um, because you had that, that knowledge. And I imagine that they put you back at Pokemon because heritage saw something right. Um, at that point it had been 12 years since the release of the movie. I imagine that at some point, the interest in Pokemon kind of went down, but it must have come back up, you know, within that time. Uh, What happened around that time, 2011, when you kind of were in charge of that?
1: Yeah, so um, you mentioned, you know, I started here at Heritage in 2011. I was a 19-year-old kid uh, going to college, and I just, I kind of needed a part-time job. Uh, So I came on board, I applied for for a summer internship, and, you know, they were very kind enough to give you the opportunity to go to school and work here at the same time you know that's great you know i get to read comics all day and mess around with them <laughs> that's that's pretty cool and still get a chance to go to school uh so so i started working in the comic book department and then we you know i started doing a little bit of that uh then comic art got introduced to me but i love comic art now as well and then we started the animation art department you know all my favorite cartoons growing up as a kid and movies and all that stuff too and I, I actually started doing Pokemon in a, around 2016. We sold a Pikachu Illustrator, PSA 9, back then for 54000 And that's whenever we started getting, you know, emails and phone calls about Pokemon. And me as, you know, the only kid around, you know, I work with a lot of much older people than myself. I was kind of the only one that knew what a, what a Pokemon was. <laughs> and I was like, you know, but I'll do it, you know. Um, and I was really sad about it. You know, I... I went home and I remember, you know, just doing all the research as much as I, as I could to try to, you know, get it all back in my mind. And you know, it's it's been a wild ride. It's it's been fun. You know, we started off with a with a small section in the comic book category every four months. And you know, within the last couple couple of years, we've grown. You know, now I have my own staff. We have our own category, our own catalogs. Um, yeah, it's it's been very fun
0: can you go back to that that card it was the the pikachu uh illustrator so that's what we're talking about sort of like these grails in the pokemon uh collection was there some sort of like not underground but like you know 2016 2015 and i'm just talking from maybe a sports card the hobby was still that it was a hobby right the serious money was only really being spent on the top top stuff and you could get some stuff relatively cheap still um that right now is worth you know some stuff is worth six figures that maybe a couple you know say five six years ago you could get for a couple thousand bucks where did that come from? Like, I'm wondering, was, was there always, has this collect, has these Pokemon collectors always been there, these serious investors and collectors always sort of been there? I think so. I personally just felt, you know, it was just a matter of time. Me personally,
1: you know, I grew up with Pokemon. And now, you know, that I'm in my early 30s, it's one of those things where I have a good paying job now. I'm out of college. I have a little bit of, you know, accessible money that I can go back and buy stuff that I grew up with and bring back that kid in me. And I think, you know, that's what what really happened, you know, because Pokemon really started going up in price, like, you know, to crazy levels in 2020. So what makes
0: that Illustrator so valuable? If we can talk specifically about that card.
1: Yeah, so the Pikachu Illustrator, you know, that's what everybody in the community considers as the Holy Grail in the trading card game. There was only 39 copies distributed. It was part of an illustration contest in 1997 where kids could, you know, draw their favorite Pokemon and, and s- submitted to the art contest. And these cards were given out to the winners. You know, in 2016, we sold a copy for $54,000. Uh, last week, I just sold one for 840000 So that just kind of explains, you know, how, how
0: much Pokemon has come uh, in the last couple of years. 840000 was that a graded copy? Yes, PSA 9. PSA 9, wow. 840000 As you said, like, we talked a little about the nostalgia. You talked a little bit about, like, sort of, you know, now that generation, right? Um, is growing up, you know, has ex- some expendable uh, income. And I guess my question is, like, what continues to drive that? You know, is, is Pokemon still building that fan base? Are there still five, six-year-olds like you, like you were, you know, that are entering the Pokemon game? Um, how strong is that brand still? Oh, it hasn't
1: changed. In fact, I think it's only gotten popular, you know, if I have cousins who are five or six years old, um, nephews that, you know, collect Pokemon cards, you know, the It's kind of cool because they think that I have the best job in the world now. So uh, it's pretty fun to be, you know, the cool cousin or cool uncle. But, yeah, no, I mean, Pokemon is still strong. It might be stronger than ever now, especially, you know, um, last year was their 25th anniversary. And they did, you know, they definitely pulled out a lot of stops in order to make it into a big celebration year, you know, with exclusives, you know, theme songs, uh, you know, just a lot of different things that, you know, kind of brought back that, you know. Nostalgia factor, right now, you know, people my age uh, can have something to relate with their kids now Yeah, I mean the cartoon is still being made. They're still coming out with video games. I think uh, Pokemon just just announced that they printed out like 13 billion cards in the the
0: last 12 months, which is crazy Yeah, so to touch on on some of the things I didn't realize the staying power of Pokemon until um, that twenty fifth anniversary, and you know that uh, McDonald's was giving away Pokemon cards with with every Happy Meal. So I'm like, oh, okay, you get some, you get some Pokemon cards, great. And then um, you know, I open it, and it's like, oh, Pikachu and these other characters, and I'm just like, huh, I wonder what they're going for in it. And so it must have been that first week they're selling for like a hundred bucks for like these McDonald's Pokemon, and I'm like, no way. <laughs> And so I go back to McDonald's maybe about a week later. I'm like, hey, you know, um, you guys still still giving away a Pokemon? And yeah, he's like, we're out. I'm like, what do you mean you're out? Like, there's people that have come in and bought cases from us. I'm like, they could do that? Like, yeah, they just... And so um, that was like an eye-opener for me. I-, I-, I don't know if you could talk a little bit about that McDonald's thing. It was crazy. Uh, you know, same here. I heard about it. I
1: thought it was super cool. I went to go buy a couple for myself. I'm like, oh, this is really great. And again, I went back a couple of days later, same thing, so loud. I'm like, okay, let me try another one by by work. So loud. I'm like, okay, cool. But like even bad stores, you know, like Walmart and Target and things like that, you, you can't find Pokemon cards. Uh, at some point, they stopped selling them. And then now they have like a, you know, one item per person limit, just because, you know, Pokemon has printed the, the heck out of you know the last few sets in order to try to keep up with the demand but even then they're still hard they're still super hard to find
0: yeah I, I was at a local walgreens and um they don't even keep them on the store shelves right so it, there's a note that says uh if you want want to purchase go to the front desk because they're limiting it to two two per person so now you know they if you want to get the they've almost made them as difficult to get well they have made them as difficult to get as cigarettes yeah, exactly. You have to you have to ask for it. So, and, and, you know, and then kind of leading into what you're saying, like, so, like you said, Pokemon is printing billions of these cards out. And my question to you then would be as, you know, sort of as an expert, you know, the, the baseball card has gone through its junk wax era, right, where they were printing out these, these cards like crazy. Um, that Ken Griffey Jr. card that was, you know, supposedly very valuable. You know, there might be millions of these copies out there. Is there a danger for Pokemon in, in, in kind of printing out so many cards, or is it just a, a matter of, of demand?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. So, like, with the newer sets, the one that they're, you know, obviously overprinting, I think it's more of just, you know, the demand is still about there for them. Uh, you know, again, like we're um, speaking right now, you can't keep these cards in stock in bad stores. But I think been, been the long-term scheme of things, you know, definitely the vintage stuff will go up in price while the, mo- the more modern stuff will... Kind of, you know, level out and kind of um, stay there. Uh, but, you know, my point of view is as long as you know, people want them, keep on printing
0: them. The Pokemon's, I, you know, they're 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 that's their business, right? And, and you're absolutely right. I guess I'm wondering, as, as a collector, right, as somebody that is, is been in Pokemon or even someone that wants to enter and kind of understand Pokemon, I'm wondering if if you really kind of if you want to start off with down a lot of money on, on the on the current cards because chances are that in a couple of years, like you said, or maybe even a year from now, that market might kind of just come down.
1: My advice to people, if somebody's trying to get into Pokemon cards, you know, there's two differences. There's the collector standpoint and then the investor point of view. The collector base, you know, buy what you like. The investor part of it is more, you know, I kind of feel that the stuff that was printed out, you know, in the mid 2000s, uh, that's going to go up in price just because that's kind of where the one period of time where the Pokemon trend card game was on a downward trend. And there were very limited printings, you know, um, there was an abundance of them at, at the store because really, you know, it, it, it was that one weird gap between our generation and the next one that we were all teenagers and, and we weren't really into it anymore. And that stuff, you know, graded been a PSA 10 or a CGC 10 or Beckett 10. Um, that can go, you know, for considerable money now. But I think in the long term, that's what's going to keep on going up in price.
0: What sets would those be, by the way, for someone that's listening and is kind of interested in looking at that?
1: It, it's called the ex. Uh, they did about sixteen or seventeen sets, Part of that, uh, the real more expensive ones that are you know highly sought after are the ultra rare cards, and those have a distinctive you know like a silver foil border around the front. Um, those in PSA ten um, would probably be you know what I would advise for people
0: to get into your you're, you made a great point about you know the difference between an investor or a collector and maybe you could be you could definitely be both right you could be an investor collector and my question i guess is this like if you're really going to get into pokemon right should you understand the game you know should you understand you know the show or is it something that you could jump into the cards without re- kind of without really getting having that background of what pokemon stands for you know because and and i want to add one last thing like you talked about like how you as a child, it was so emotional to watch that movie, right? Like, like you have, like, like you feel it, right? Like you, you have that deep understanding of the brand. Can someone just jump in without really truly understanding that?
1: (laughs) I'm torn about that question. I want to say, you know, no, but in reality, you know, yeah. Anything with Charizard on it, it's going to go up in price. No matter what, no matter what Barrett's from, no matter from what set it's from, no matter the grade, that's going to go up. And it's basically, it's more about just finding out, you know, which Pokemon are popular. So, you know, you you can easily go online, you know, and figure that out fairly quickly for somebody that has no idea what a Pokemon is. You know, and definitely just get into the market fairly quickly.
0: Yeah, you can get into the market. And, 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 I mean, and then you just have to do your research on cards and things like that. I imagine, though, that, like, having that understanding from the beginning puts you at, a, puts you at an advantage just because, like, You know, you're, 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 you're in the culture, you know, you're in the community and that helps out a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that one. All right. So kind of shifted and I found something really interesting in your biography and uh, you mentioned it, um, the rad dad collection. And this is something that, that uh, you mentioned was one of your highlights of your career. Right. And I'm wondering without me kind of saying too much, like what is the rad dad collection? What was your involvement and why is it so special to you?
1: The Red Daddy collection came from this beautiful family. I got to meet, you know, the mom and the children at their home. So the Red Hat collection is pretty much, you know, a collection that their father used to collect. Um, you know, he was the, the big Pokemon guy in the family. The kids were interested, but when it came down to, you know, a Pokemon fan, it was their dad. And, you know, um, um, sadly, he, he, did, he did pass away at a very young age. He left, you know, their, his entire, you know, Pokemon collection to to his kids. It included, you know, booster boxes and thousands of cards, uh, toys, memorabilia, anything that you can think of, he had. And whenever, you know, back at the phone call, it was from the youngest son, Matt. And, um, you know, he, he and I started speaking and, and it, it turned out that the collection was more important because it came from from their dad, uh, who they all call the Rad Dad. That's kind of, you know, the moniker of above the name. Yeah, so we started talking about the collection and all that, you know, and um they wanted, you know, my opinion on value and I kinda of, was like, well, you know, it's it's very massive, you know, I would definitely have, have to go out and see it in person. They were very kind, you know, they welcomed me at their home. I remember the um the mom she made uh cookies and been had, you know, waters for us and all that stuff and it was It was just very, you know, homecoming. And, you know, I sat down with them and we started discussing it, you know, and that's where I really got to know them and and just how close the family was, you know, uh, and just, you know, the dad, their dad wasn't there anymore, but they had this collection that they could share with, with everyone else. It was more about them sharing the love that their dad had for Pokemon with the community and opening up, you know, um, that chapter in their life again.
0: And, 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 um. You know the collection realized I saw there 3.2 million dollars. You know there's a little bit of uh, things to go in there. Like obviously he le- he must have left some really amazing stuff, some one of a kind stuff maybe even to achieve that kind of that kind of value. But the second thing is like like you mentioned like the the emotional attachments right, what the items must have meant to the family. And so I'm wondering, you know if you could talk a little bit about that like the value of the collection, what was in it maybe, but also kind of how did the family you know feel about you Know selling off the collection if there was some sadness there at all, it was a little hard for them to you know to uh, to part with it, obviously.
1: Um, but again, um, they're just really close and um, they did give it some time. You know, I, I think I went to go to visit them and it took about you know uh, three weeks to hear back from them. And I and I think you know what happened was they all just sat with each other and discussed, you know, um, to them again, it wasn't really about the money. Uh, the money was great, obviously, because you know, uh, it was just. Such a massive collection, but to them it was really just about you know sharing who their dad was with everyone else and telling their story of how Pokemon changed their life as a kid, been their dad's life, and how it kind of brought them closer together with him. You know, in terms of what was been the collection, you know, it was large amounts of sealed boxes, uh, both English and Japanese, which were, which were the bulk of the money. in the long run, they um, had a first edition Charizard. A lot of, you know, different mobility type things, promotional cards, complete sets. Uh, They pretty much had it all. When was that, by the way? Because I'm
0: curious. That was 2021. Oh, 2021. Okay. Wow. Cool. Yeah, because um, I was thinking it was earlier. And now I was like, wow, how did he amass such a collection in such a short period of time? But I guess maybe possibly had, you know, upwards of, you know, 20, 25 years almost of collecting, I imagine. I can't remember the exact year that he passed away, but it was several years
1: ago. 'Cause I think the collection only went up to Neo Destiny. So um they just had it in in been a, a room this entire time until the youngest saw one of our press releases that we had just sold a Pokemon box for four hundred thousand dollars. But he was like, wait a minute, I think we have one of those. And you know, and he ran into the room and he's like, Yes, we have one of those. So he called his older brother, and his older brother was like, Wait, what are you doing? What is this? blah blah. And then he's like, no, let me do some research. And then, you know, like a couple of days later, I got a phone call. Okay.
0: That's crazy, man. Uh, that It was just laying there. And it was just like, yeah, that's dad's, you know, that, that's what dad left us, a bunch of <laughs> junk maybe. And it turns out that's no junk at all. That just, what a story, man. So we've talked a little bit, I mean, we've talked a lot about Pokemon and obviously that's the big thing. Kind of curious to have your take on what you feel. And, you know, we don't have to belabor it at all, but Logan Paul. Wearing those, you know, those necklaces with those, you know, it's, it's more valuable than any diamond or whatever. Good or bad for the hobby?
1: I think it's good. But I think it, it 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 adds, you know, a lot more hype to the entire thing. And, you know, and just the fact that he, that he spent, you know, $5.2 million on one Pokemon card is absolutely nuts to me. Uh, but, you know, if you have the money
0: and it's something that you really want, go for it. What was that card, by the way? And is, is that truly... The most valuable Pokemon card out there?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the card was a Pikachu Illustrator, um, like the one that we just sold recently. But this copy is the only PSA 10 copy known to exist.
0: Ah, uh, okay. So it's, it's and, and again, like you said, that, that there's only an addition of 39 even? 39 were distributed, yes. 39 were distributed. And this is the one PSA 10. Okay. That's the only one, yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. That, so that's another Holy Grail. <laughs> exactly, yes. That's
1: the holiest of Holy Grails, pretty much, for Pokemon.
0: So let, let's kind of turn around a little bit. Um well, you know, you are the, the TCG trading card game expert uh, at, at Heritage. You, we, before we start recording a little bit, we talked a little bit and you mentioned that uh, Magic the Gathering is also gaining some steam. I know nothing about Magic the Gathering, um, but can you talk about that market a little bit? Kind of why it's, it's getting, you know, increasing in value and, and, and how that whole community is different from maybe the Pokemon community?
1: Yeah, so Magic the Gathering was released in 1993, you know, a few years before Pokemon was. It's a totally different group of collectors, of, of, of fans, uh, player base. The important thing about Magic that people, you know, didn't used to know that I think is becoming more prevalent now is just how rare um, some of the Berlin printing was, like a Balfour card, you know, uh, but a rare card. They only printed 1,100 copies. And then, you know, when they printed out the Balfour edition, they were like, okay, let's see how the first printing does. Sold out, basically. Okay, great. Uh, two months later, they released the beta edition. Two months later, they they had sold so much. And two months later, they released the third printing of it. Uh, so those early sets, you know, it's really hard to find, especially in high grade, just because there's not that much of it out there. It wasn't printed. And, you know, you always have to take into account, you know, how much of that material was actually, you know, destroyed over, over time, which, you know, sadly does happen. So, the 1100 copies minus, you know, whatever percentage of it is no longer here. It just it adds more to the value because it's it does not come around that often.
0: So, uh, just to get it straight, so like in those earlier sets, you're saying that there were three separate editions made of the same set? Yes.
1: For the original set, it was the Balfoy edition, the beta edition, and then the limited edition. For the rare card standpoint, the Alpha had 1100 copies printed the Beta Edition had 3,000 copies, and the limited had 16,000 copies, which 16,000 copies is still not not a lot for the demand the game had.
0: You know, How would you tell the difference between 1st, 2nd, or 3rd editions? Is there the markings on the card, the way they were designed?
1: Yeah, so on the Alpha Edition, the borders are more rounded, because uh, that's kind of when they were still like, eh, look, let's see if it works out or not. Uh, whenever they released the Beta Edition, the borders were more refined, more cornered. And then the unlimited edition, they change the border to white border instead of the black traditional
0: border. One thing maybe, and I don't want to uh, take up too much of your time, like, what does the counterfeit space look like? Because, um, you know, I, I went through a little um, Yu-Gi-Oh uh, phase and I was buying cards at some point, And uh, I realized that like half the cards I had bought were counterfeit. <laughs> and, and some of them... Uh, if you don't pay if you don't really pay careful attention some of them are really really well done um and some of them were obvious looking back on it but some of them were really really well done what is that like like for for magic the gathering for pokemon even how many fakes are in circulation how easy is it to fake these cards uh there's a lot of them out there and you know it's one of those things where
1: over time it gets easier it gets easier to fake them unfortunately uh but luckily there, there are rating services and you know uh, me and my staff have you know background on on catching fakes and they know as some of them do cross by you know um we're at a convention or something like that somebody brings a book or something like that and we're we're able to tell pretty quickly uh, there are some of them we're like we're like okay let me get a second opinion on um uh, but yeah no i mean um you know that's one of those things about counterfeit stuff you know uh, the more something is worth the more counterfeits we're gonna find out there
0: has there ever been the case and this is not a um there's not a, like a criticism of any uh, grading services, but have there been cases where you've seen slabbed counterfeits? You know, they have gotten by, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of one of, my, one of my worries is like, you know, when somebody's maybe, you know, starting a collection, a decent collection of a, not a super expensive card, but like a, a hundred or a $200 card, you know, just because it says PSA or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that it's, it's legit because, you know, it could fool anybody. Right. People need to kind of educate themselves. What do these cards look like? How can you tell the difference between a, a, a real or a fake? And I'm wondering if you had any any sort of uh, tips on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely do your homework. You know, uh, there's a lot of good websites that you know kind of pinpoint things that you should be looking for on a certain card, and just you know try to buy from a reliable source. Some, somebody that you know, or somebody that you know um, you kind of know that is big in the community or things like that. And you know, me personally, you know, there's things where I'm like, uh, eh, I think something's off, but I'm not sure. And I'm not afraid of you know texting somebody or calling somebody and getting a second opinion from. Uh, but I think that's what everybody should do because I think you know the more that we catch as a community, uh, the better for the market.
0: Can Can you give me a little a little example of that? Like, I mean, is it how good is it to like to like how good are these counterfeits to where you you you've been stopped and you're kind of like you've seen thousands upon thousands of these cars and even you were kind of like. I can't, I can't pinpoint, but there's something wrong here, or I'm not totally sure. Like, what, what would that be?
1: Whenever I get to that point where, where it's something that it looks authentic, but there's something about it that I don't like, whether it's it's the color or the size of the lettering or something like that. Uh, me, you know, working at Heritage, I usually don't take that that stuff. Can I've learned to just trust my instincts a I think that's what people should do because. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's the smallest little thing that you can think of that is off about the card that will tell you if it's a counterfeit or not. Um, you know, and there's little tricks, you know, with, with the black light, um, you know, there's there's people that do make fake slabs out there as well. Uh, you know, those. And that's why, you know, the green services have been doing a better job of, you know, making them more tamper proof and, you know, adding logos and things like that to their labels to, to prevent that from happening.
0: So, sort of going back and t- uh, kind of putting a, a cap on that, like the Magic: The Gathering. What is the market like now? Is it another kind of emerging market? You did mention, you know, the the earlier uh, limit editions, how limited they were. But is it something that's also increasing in popularity?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, uh, the Pokemon and the Magic market are two different things. There are there is some crossover, but very minimal. Uh, but yeah, no Magic prices just keep on going big price. Um, Last week we sold a card called the Splendid Genesis, which mm. was a Richard Garfield promo. Richard Garfield was the creator of Magic, and he and one the, and one of the one of the little perks was you know he got to create his own cards, showcasing an important moment in his life. Um, that card in particular showcased the birth of his first child. And the first time we sold it, which was the first time it sold at a public auction ever, it sold for twenty three thousand, I believe. Uh, so this time around I was like, Oh, it's probably gonna sell for around thirty thousand. It sold for four seventy two thousand. I mean, which, which just kinda shows, you know, uh just how fast the market is growing overall and just how it, it, it's one of those things where people are finally realizing how rare this stuff is. And that's that's the biggest key with magic. It's so much more rare than Pokemon, than Yu Gi Oh, than than anything else.
0: Yeah. What was that gap like? What was that timeline between the twenty three thousand, twenty seven thousand, and the four hundred seventy two thousand? What was that? Uh, a little over a year, like a year and four months. A little over a year. Yeah. So I mean, um, this is you know, this is news to me. Like this is like, see, I, I guess when I'm not in the space, I don't understand how powerful that market is, man. I mean, cause, you know, I, unless you're in it, you know. But but that's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, but I personally think you know that's one of the things that you know we as an auction house offer we're introducing these rare cards that people might not know about. And, you know, we do our work and our research to, to figure out, you know, how, what was the printing run? Um, this card, there was only 110 copies printed out because he only gave, he only gave them out to friends and family, and that's it. Uh, so the, the only way you could get one of those cards is by being b- a relative or really close to him. Uh, they were never sold. They were never reprinted by a set. And that's what the general, population doesn't know. And that's, you know, our job to educate people and, and explain why something is worth this much.
0: So thank you so much for your time. I kind of uh, wanted to end with, you know, your end of of, of, of things, a uh, heritage auctions. You know, do you currently have a big auction going on? When's your next big auction going to happen? And, and what are some things that, you know, a collector or an investor can look for in there?
1: So my next big auction is late September. We just launched our first solo trading card game weekly auctions. Uh, They'll start on Wednesday nights at uh, 10 p.m. And the live bidding starts the next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central Time. Uh, we're just about to launch our showcase auction called the Legendary Pokemon Showcase Auction. Uh, that's going to run for a month. And our big next signature auction is going to be late, late September. And then in, in our next signature auction.
0: In September. And, and what's the difference between, say, something like a signature auction and like your weekly auction that you mentioned? It's more of a price point because there are different levels, you know, of how much people
1: can spend. I can't spend, you know, personally $100,000 on a card. Our select weekly auctions range from $150 to $3,000 to $5,000. Our showcase auctions are kind of, they're not the, the high, high end and they're not the low end stuff. They're kind of just themed. So the first showcase auction we ever did was Magic the Gathering, only uh, this time around, it's going to be Pokemon. I'm planning on doing a Yu-Gi-Oh themed auction. I'm planning on doing some other, you know, themed related boxes for other trading card games as well. And the signature auction—that's a little bit more exclusive. That's where you know we do bump up our minimum values. So currently, our minimum lot for for the floor session, which is where we have like a live auctioneer taking bids, um, that's five thousand dollars or more. And for that, you know, we print out a catalog and, and things like that.
0: Thank you so much for being on the, on the podcast with me really opened my eyes to Pokemon a lot. And, you know, thanks for sharing your kind of your work history and also, you know, your personal experience, uh, with the brand without a doubt. It's something that, you know, that's as big as it is crazy enough. It could probably even get even bigger. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for your time. And, and, uh, hopefully we can catch up, you know, maybe a few months from now and, and talk some more about Pokemon, seeing the latest developments and even, Go into some more Yu-Gi-Oh or magic. (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) Let's do it. Jesus, have a great day. All right. Thank you. You too. There's so much good stuff in here from Jesus, from how he knows so much about Pokemon to sharing some of the highlights from his career at Heritage. I also really enjoyed his thoughts on the current state of the hobby and how he sees a potential entry point with Pokemon cards made in the mid-2000s. I hope you learned something new today. So big thanks to Jesus for coming on the podcast to talk Pokemon and also for showing off some of the cards that will be at auction in September. And a big thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, let others know about it or leave a review or a comment. Until the next time, take care.